The Hangout is live! Yay! Greetings, friends of the Apocalypse. This is Jerry the Apocalypse, Nerd Wallace, and Adam Bomb Glancy for Podcast Act Round Zero, Episode 32, The Triffids. Mm-hmm. It is indeed the day, or at least the episode of The Triffids. The day of The Triffids. And you know what? I had a thought that, come, that came to mind, and... Uh, Oh, what is going on here? It's uh, uh hold on. Oh, you have a little lag? Yeah, no, that's what was fucking me up. Okay. Anyway, yay! So first thing that came to mind is, you know, the Triffids, don't they seem to resemble the Yithian just a little too much? <laughs> There's a there is a, some resemblance in some of the stories that, or in some of the illustrations of Triffids. Where they look a wee bit Yithian, but I don't really think that is, uh, I don't really think that is the intention. Um, uh, you know, uh, but uh, I, it depends on which version. I mean, God knows, uh, uh, I haven't seen the 1950s monster movie uh, in a while, but my recollection was that they almost didn't look like plants in that yeah. movie. They yeah, have these weird, like, heads, and, yeah, the 1963 adaptation was definitely the monster movie of the week, like, Them, or the Atomic Man Monster, and, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, was those 50s, 60s movies of the week, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's start off with the uh, origin of all this. Well, well, uh, just, well oh. just before we hit the book, just a couple of quick uh, in-the-news okay. things. No, not, not a whole lot this week. One thing I forgot to mention last time was I came across this uh, app, well, at least it was on the iPhone, for this little game called uh, This Is Not a Test. And it's kind of got this look of this, you know, the kind of, uh, what was like those, uh, like the 50s comics, the uh, creep or, you know what I'm talking about, those 50s, like horror comics. No, you mean like Vault of Horror and... Um... Creepy and Eerie, which were the 70s versions. Eerie, yeah. Like, it's all, it has that kind of look to it. It's like this apocalyptic situation. There's this gas and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like choose-your-own-story kind of thing. And you got to yeah. pick different skill sets and different paths. And it was free for a time. And it was kind of amusing, but it's just too short and always winds up being at the, at the end. So for free, it was amusing for about five minutes. I was, just, I was hoping for more out of it. Because I was starting like, okay, choose your own adventure, kind of move around, and you pick your, uh, but wanted being a little bit of a, a little bit of a fail there. Okay. So I wasn't uh, that happy with it. And the other thing I had going as I started watching is Sci-Fi Channel has yet another series that's been out for about three weeks now called Z Nation. Z Nation. More zombies. Zombies. More zombies. Send more zombies. And, of course, it is definitely done in typical sci-fi channel fashion. This ah. Stereotypical, it's a stereotypical sci-fi channel TV show. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Not the best acting, not always the best plots, stories, but I will say one thing. I... And I only watched two. And I only watched two episodes of The Last Ship. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, they lost me after two. <laughs> they lost me after two. The Last Ship. Z Nation. I went in with no expectations, knowing it's a Sci-Fi Channel TV series. 
And it ain't that, like I said, it ain't that great. But you know what? It's okay. I mean, it keeps me entertained. And actually, Nancy likes to watch it too. So I mean, that says something that my wife, that isn't into horror, is will watch it. <laughs> you know, so that gonna tell you something. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of action. You know, a couple of interesting premises, and there's been things here and there that are kind of fun. But a lot of gore, a lot of action. So it's. You know what? If you got if you got 45, 50 minutes, you know, you just watch it. And it's uh, it's 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 okay. It's you know, nothing to write home about. And I'm watching it for now. Okay. And it's uh, well, one thing that was interesting with it, I won't spoil this because this is like a brand new fucking series. But they pull a gag off in this series that they have not pulled off in The Walking Dead yet, and I'm expecting them to do that in The Walking Dead, the latter half of this season. Just based on the original graphic novels, I'm expecting that gag. They haven't done it yet. They did the gag. They like so they they beat them to doing the gag in the zombie. This gag in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> beat them to their own punch. All right. And I said it's it ain't no it's not The Walking Dead. That's for sure. Again, The Walking Dead's not a piece of Shakespeare either. Okay, but it's but it's but it's a good show. So I'm still so, on board. Yeah. As so the next season comes out. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like a, not like I'm not gonna watch it, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, Z Nation. It's it's if you got the time, it's worth checking out. It's not you know, it's, it's not great. I saw somebody said it's like, oh, it's kind of like Sharknado, and I'm like, ooh, it's not that bad. It's bad, but it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, in my opinion. Wow. Let's let's hope it's not Sharknado. Just. Uh-huh. Yeah, nothing, nothing should be Sharknado. But um, really, uh, so. so so let me uh, let me throw you a piece of news. Uh, there's a Kickstarter going on right now oh, for, okay. for a post-apocalyptic computer game called Bedlam. B e d l a m. I have not seen this. By a company called Sky Shine Games. Uh, right now, they're looking for one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. They've got forty nine three twelve at the moment. Here on September 30th or 29th or whatever this is, I guess it's the 29th. Um, September 29th, 2014. Uh, 1,900 uh, backers and 25 days to go. They just got this thing started. Um, Bedlam is looks like kind of a uh, a low resolution game. That uh, the 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 gameplay looks very similar to things like um, the original um, XCOM. And uh, the old versions of Fallout, you know, turn-based combat, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, uh, you know, and and the part that I thought you'd be amused by is that uh, it's all about crewing, staffing, and uh, manning your dozer, which is a giant armored vehicle that you pilot around the wasteland, trading and adventuring and variously. Getting up to trouble, or also, you know, um, blowing shit up with. So yes, you cruise around this post-apocalyptic world known as Bedlam, um, uh, yeah, uh, with your your dozer armored vehicle, which is clearly uh, war wag, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, and uh, it looks like it's going to be a very simple game. You know, I don't know how big or how many hours of gameplay that they are anticipating, but it's not Halo. <laughs> it's not Call of Duty. All right. Well, nothing should be Halo. I don't like Halo. It's 
Yeah. I just so, found uh, it. It's, it's a, good. You found it on the Kickstarter site? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I looked at it. It looks very low-budget and cheesy, but uh, you know what? We kind of like that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Give those guys Give those guys their uh, their 15 minutes of, of fame here on podcast at Ground Zero. So I just wanted to throw that one out. Oh, yeah, they still got uh, they got over three weeks to go, and they were already uh, a third of the way there. So they seem to be tracking pretty good. Yeah, they're cruising along at the right speed. They got Yeah, they've won, they're only five days in out of 30, and they're a third of the way there. So they're, they're on an upward trajectory. I will also point out that today is the last day to uh, throw any money at, the, uh, at my Kickstarter, uh, the um, Horrors of War, which is our Call of Cthulhu meets World War I. Scenario anthology. We have uh, already passed, uh, you know, our original stretch goals of sixteen thousand. Right now, we're at twenty-six thousand dollars. There are seven hours to go. Um, I don't expect that we will make the uh, thirty-two thousand dollar Kickstarter uh, goal, which was a stretch goal, so that everyone who got the first book, everyone who paid in to buy the first book, would get the second book if we doubled our original intention if we got a 200% take. Everyone would get two books for the price of one. I don't think we're going to make it. I certainly hope that people, and I've said on the site, please don't add to your bid, okay? You know, don't just start going, well, I gave $45 for the book. I guess I should throw in another, you know, 30 or 40 bucks. Don't do that. Don't. You've already done your pledge. I'm thrilled with your pledge. Just get new people. Just keep making noise on social media in the last few hours. And if we get there, we get there. But for God, or, or like you said, uh, you talk Crow into doing the PDF version. I know you had a lot of holdouts for for that. Yeah, we we've, we've made several announcements, including a mailing out to every single person who had uh, previously pledged to let them know that uh, John had uh, decided to go with a uh, PDF version of the book. So there is not just a PDF version for twenty bucks, but there is also a um, there's also a digital backer reward level where you can get all the rewards that are digital uh, for 40 bucks. Uh, you just don't get the uh, soft cover book signed or unsigned, depending on your preference. But uh, we're in the last seven hours of that. I don't know that this broadcast will make a great deal of difference in that. But well, you know, I thought I'd make a mention of it here at the last moment, as long as we're talking about other people's. And I would like to point out, they've been in it for five days, and they've raised $49,000. I'm in it for 60 days, <laughs> and I raised 26. So, hmm, hmm, maybe maybe, maybe I'm in the wrong business. Maybe I picked the wrong genre. Now, uh, what I want to know is how many hours did you have to waterboard uh, John Crow to get him to uh, give in to uh, the PDF? Uh, you know, uh, i, I got to tell you, um, I think the main reason he gave in is because he got incredibly sick. Um, he was, uh, he came down with some terrible respiratory disease and he finally went, you know what, um, I have many things I have to deal with right now and worrying about this PDF or having to put up with you Glancy coming and talking to me about a PDF version over and over again when I am spending my last hours on earth wheezing in a, in my uh, blood-filled lungs, screw it, let there be a PDF, see if I care, I'll be dead and it won't matter. Sadly, he didn't die. Um, so he's agreed to the PDF and then failed to die, so he'll be forced to live with the consequences of having authorized it. So, Which, so, you, so you badgered him to death to get him, almost to death to get him to do it. Well, let me point out that we've probably jumped up $6,000 since the PDF. Was. Absolutely, because that is what the market Once. bears now. People want their hardcover, people want their books, 
but people also want their digital options as well. That's something yeah. they want to supplement and go along with it. Yeah, I, um, I just I just played a game of, uh, well, <laughs> just to point out other people's products, played a game of Hollow Earth Expedition, which is this great pulp Nazis, dinosaurs, Hollow Earth, 1930s adventure game on Sunday. And, yeah, I brought my hard copies of the books with me. But the hard copies actually ended up just sitting there while I opened up all the PDFs on my laptop and zipped through them looking for the rule I was trying to find, you know? It's Because uh, they're, they're the searchable. It's the modern age, sir. It's the yeah. modern age. Who needs a Game Master screen when you have a freaking laptop? That's your Game Master screen. Your laptop screen. Yeah. But uh, speaking of, there's one more quick thing not related to what we're talking about because I figured it just came to mind was because we're talking about Kickstarters and it made me think of the uh, the Metamorphous Alpha one from uh, Goodman Games. Yeah. How, uh, you know, the books are finally on the slow boat and they send pictures of their advanced copies and wow, does that look fucking sweet. That big-ass fucking hardcover, it looks awesome. It looks yeah. so good. But also, I was also looking at Goodman Games site and this is something you and I were talking about was you're like... Remember we talked about, you're like, whatever happened to all the Grimtooth stuff? Remember we talked about Grimtooth? Oh, yeah, 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 Grimtooth Traps, yes. Goodman Games it partnered up with Rick Loomis from Flying Buffalo, and Goodman Games is putting out the Uber edition of Grimtooth. All the previous books uh... in one large-ass 500-plus something, probably big-ass hardcover and with a ton of additional material as well. The original ones are the original scans, original format. They said nothing's changed, compatible with every game. We haven't updated nothing. It's all the original stuff, plus a lot of new stuff in one big-ass uh, uh, collection. Uh, they'll get some shekels from me for that. Uh, I think I, I, I'm, I'm going to need to do it too because, let me tell you, Goodman Games is doing a lot of good stuff. I hate to say that, but, you know, if they could keep on doing this stuff, you know, bringing collections of this old stuff for the old school gaming and the grognards. Oh, also, they're partnering up with uh, the dudes from uh, one of the dudes from uh, originally the Judges Guild. Oh, it, comp compiling that stuff. You know, so they're really bringing, finding the old stuff and making it accessible to people who might not be able to find stuff in the past. So who knows what they'll do next? You know, well, I'm glad to say this stuff doesn't. You know, you have know, games out there, and and we're going to get the we're going to get the good with the bad. But I'm glad to have the option of being able to get the good with the bad, you know, because one person's, you know, terrible shit uh, product is another guy's lost treasure, you know. There's always going to be somebody out there to get it, and when we're not murdering trees to get it, you know, for these yeah. digital options, it's even better. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's kind of cool that they're, that they're doing all that. So, anyway, so that's enough, uh, folks, for our sidetrack conversation. What a surprise. But yeah. uh, you, you know what to expect by now. So. Yeah. This should not have come as a surprise to anyone. I'm working on another, uh, another. Uh, well, first of all, I got my my post-apocalyptic uh, 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 Canadian book, the um, th uh, uh, fractured. I got exactly. fractured, so that's arrived. So we're gonna have to make time to to review fractured. We'll read it, and we'll we'll read it. And uh, I I started a little bit. I got the. I mean, I only got through the intro, but uh, you know what? I even though it's a short, it's a two-page intro. That's all I read, but I like what she had to say so far. I was like, okay, you know, she seems pretty, uh, pretty cool. So the, uh, the other thing I'm looking at right now is uh, Annihilation, which is the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy. Apparently, the first book was uh, uh, self-published or something, and then it's been picked up. Um, it, 
it has sort of a it has an apocalyptic aspect to it in that it's a micro apocalypse jared there's okay. a there's a place called area x where apparently all civilization has been wiped out i will uh, uh, just go ahead and um, uh, read the the back intro which is Area X has been cut off from the rest of the world for decades. Nature has reclaimed the last vestiges of human civilization. The first expedition returned with reports of a pristine, Edenistic landscape. The second expedition ended in a mass suicide. The third expedition ended in a hail of gunfire as its members turned on one another. The members of the 11th expedition returned as shadows of their former selves and within weeks all had died of cancer. In Annihilation, the first volume of Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, we join the 12th expedition. And um, uh, they definitely, during the course of the book, sort of uh, defined it as having uh, a cosmic horror aspect. There is definitively a creeping apocalypse aspect to it. Um, it's more weird fiction. It's more cosmic horror than apocalyptic, but there are... Uh, a certain apocalyptic factors in it that uh, may may prove out in the later volumes. But once I'm done with Annihilation, I'll be putting that down and going straight to Fracture so cool. we can get on top of that. Oh, and one other thing I forgot to mention. I meant to mention it before air, but um, I got an email today from the sh uh, on the show email. Excellent. Uh, it's we, an event because we never get those. I, I get them occasionally, but we got a... Okay. Uh, we got an email from a, a gentleman, and I'm gonna get his probably get his na uh, last name wrong. Max Messina. Messina. Okay. Uh, apparently, he just found the webpage, found the podcast, found the YouTube channel. He's watching episode 12 with uh, Mr. Fry. You know, Twilight 2000. Yeah. It was great show, guys. Uh, he just also wanted to let us know that he was one of the guys that worked on Twilight 2013, and he just wanted to say hello. Oh. Well, we we did drag them back and forth over the coals, didn't we? Uh, yeah. And I'm like, why is he emailing? I'm like, uh, well, that oh, was they, that they, was polite. I mean, he did. I mean, even though we trashed his game, it's not like he went, "You're all scum and baby fucking monsters. I hate you all." I mean, he didn't he didn't go that route, which is what I do when someone criticizes. Oh me. yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's well, it's criticism. You know, we're all entitled to our opinions. You know. Yeah. For right, for right, or for wrong. You know, me and you can be we could be completely wrong about our opinion about it, but I doubt it because we're always right. But and, uh, and I still say that one of these days we need to have the we need to say, hey viewers, write down your questions for Frank Fry about working on products for for Game Designers Workshop and go back and hit him with a bunch of uh, viewer generated questions. And and this might be an opportunity. Maybe we could uh, bring Max on and he could have him talk and defend his Twilight Twenty Thirteen. Well, let's not let's not call it a defense because that sounds like we're prosecuting him. Like it's going to be a <laughs> well, sentence. You, you, you are the former lawyer, sir. Uh, so yeah, you're sentenced to. Uh, uh, Goodman Games will find you in another twenty years in the cutout bin and resurrect your product. You know, so I, I don't even want to do that. But let's. Uh, but yeah, if it's only from. Well, 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 not defense, but you know, to to bring his point of view, his yes. point of view, his. Thought process is just because of why he wrote what he did and why he did it. Because Frank did the same thing, like what he wrote in his stuff. So maybe to be fair, give fair airtime, you know? Damn straight. So Plus it fills airtime. Plus it has controversy. Because nothing packs the kids, nothing puts butts in seats like edition wars. 
Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, like apparently the most. Uh, Oh, I can't remember what the guy said now. It was a there was something game. about it was pure edition wars because we were saying that different part that we didn't like different editions of Gamma World. Yeah, it was. Uh, did he say it was like you know what now? All right, sorry folks, I'm gonna di uh, digress for one more second here, and then I'm going to. Uh, we I promise we are going to start talking about the Triffids. We uh, swear that eventually there will be giant cannibalistic plants. Actually, I shouldn't say cannibalistic because they're not eating each other. They're giant man-eating plants. Crossing the post-apocalyptic landscape. Oh, the, all right. This, this, is, this is what I want uh, on my tombstone. This was Edition Wars at its most ignorant and divisive. Yay! <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> ignorant and divisive. Thank That's you. us in a nutshell. I think that may be, that, I think that may have perfectly encapsulated this broadcast. All right, Plants. Uh, you were going to start about on the original 1951 book, so sure. uh, give us a little bit on that, sir. Um, I, I think, I, I don't not remember when I first ran into Triffids. I think I first saw the 19, is it 1962 movie? Uh, that would be 1963. 1963 movie. Um, I saw it, and I was not impressed as a kid. But later, a um, friend of mine uh, discovered the book. I think it was my friend Richard Smith. Uh, he's since gone on to be a obscenely wealthy radiologist. Um, <laughs> he discovered it, uh, and then he, uh, uh, we also, I think, together discovered the um, 1981 uh, uh, TV series on the BBC, which is this one right here. Why, well, yes, it's a, the, that very same one. Right mm, here. Suspicious. It's the same thing. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I went back and I read the book before I saw the TV series. And I was amazed that the TV series was so faithful to the book. But the book... Very, very, very faithful to the book. The, uh, the book was uh, published in 1951, which I got to tell you, you know, is a marvelously, you know, early in the post-apocalyptic uh, uh, fiction um, by a guy named John Wyndham. Um, and uh, at least that was his pen name. I think his full name uh, is, is, ends in Harris. It's like John Wyndham, five more names, and then Harris. Um, let me see what... Hold on. Uh, Wikipedia says, John Wyndham Parks Lucas ben Bainan Harris. Gee, that's a mouthful. Say that five yeah. times faster. Yeah. The third. <laughs> Sadly, it is not the third. Um, but uh, basically, uh, what you've got is a couple of great forward-thinking concepts. One is that it is a bioengineered plant, the triffids, bioengineered uh, in the USSR, and then it escaped uh, into the wild because they let the seeds blow or somebody tried to smuggle some out, and um, it, uh, it, uh, 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 it has an oil that is replacing, and I think in the book it's not petroleum, but it's. All, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was petroleum. It was uh, um, getting us. I'm just looking at the uh, at the Wikipedia article here, and I'm, they're saying that it was uh, the triffids were uh, replacing all fish and vegetable oils. It was superior, like you know, in, in all ways to that. Um, uh, but I do sort of remember that there was a petroleum aspect to it. Yes, uh, that, it was bio, that it was biodiesel. And it's biodiesel, the idea of biodiesel in the 1950s. I'm just kind of amazed by that. Oh, yeah, he was very thinking way ahead on, you know, in his thinking because it's like biodiesel. He was already thinking about alternative fuel sources in 51. Yeah. And or probably it's, uh, the 40, we probably wrote it earlier than that. 
So late forties. So it's a bioengineered plant, but for some reason, uh, we have failed to the Soviets or whatever have failed to bioengineer out the part where the plants can move, the plants can communicate, and uh, can fucking eat you like a fucking uh, Venus flytrap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they are uh, poisonous or venomous, I should say, because you can eat. I guess you can eat them; and they won't be poisoned because they're making cooking oil out of them. But they're venomous and carnivorous. And, and, and aggressive as hell. <laughs> yeah. And the idea is is that they, they definitely follow vibrations so they can feel your footsteps and they can aim their uh, the stamen in the flower to flip out and, and, and whack you like a venomous tentacle. Uh, and they, uh, the, the venom causes blindness uh, for those who aren't killed outright, um, temporary to permanent. And they, and they always talk about one of the things, the mysteries that uh, our, our, our protagonist, Bill, uh, Bill, uh, what's his last name? Uh, Mason. Mason. Bill Mason brings up. He's like, it's like they always seem to go for the eyes. Yeah. Like they, they know to go for the eyes. That's why he thinks there's a rudimentary intelligence in these things, even though they don't have a nervous system, no brain they could find, but they always go for the eyes. And the other thing I liked was the idea that the communication was, and they did it great in the 1981 thing. Oh, yeah. It's this long, hollow plant. Uh, uh, tube, sort of flower stem, much like a pitcher plant. Yeah. And they have roots that tap yep. on that 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 hollow tube. And on the side, no, on the on the on the base, it's like a like a bulbous base, like yeah. it's like like a bulb. And they have these little tiny little stubs that go on the side. And it's like this evil plant telegraph for communicating with each other and coordinating their movements. And you know. Oh, but it's 1951, and we've got them behind barbed wire, and everything's fine. You know, we're never going to have to worry about this. You know, um, uh, it, 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 what's to worry about? We are at the top of the food chain. And the even scarier thing is, and it might have stood on its own as a novel if Wyndham had just written the blindness play, where everybody loses their eyesight. Yeah. Because... Uh, that's the next thing that happens is that civilization falls because there's a meteor shower and everyone who looks up at it gets their retinas damaged. And suddenly everyone who, was, uh, who wasn't passed out drunk in an alley um, uh, who looked up because it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see this you know, new meteor shower, everyone's blind. And the idea that we are two soft-boiled eggs away from being starving meat bags is pretty horrifying. Oh, yeah, he definitely, you know, basically, you know, now there's theories that come out of the book that, you know, it wasn't necessarily a meteor shower. It might have been purposeful. Yeah. And, Some and sort of it, orbital weapon system that malfunctioned. Because because then again, later in the book, there's all of a sudden there's this mysterious sickness. It's not, you know, it's not bubonic plague. It's not dysentery. It's not, uh, you know, uh, a whole sluice of, Diseases you get when you have a lot of dead bodies and confined people and bad hygiene. You know um, that there's this mysterious disease that happens. So there's a lot that he alludes to in the book to say that yeah, you know what, the events that happened may have not been natural. You know, yeah. and just the whole idea of this is it's about society collapsing, everybody going blind, how everything falls apart, how we, our civilization, and our survival depends on us being able to see. Because yeah. without our sight, we are done 
for in the book. And, you know, you could kind of believe it. Now, and like you said, he throws into the mix, hey, you know what? Let's just make it more interesting. Now you got to dodge now you got to dodge these, you know, man-eating plants that are everywhere and everywhere. And are just as blind as you, except they were designed to be blind. Yeah. You know, this is blind. not a this is a feature, not a bug, okay? They didn't look up at the goddamn meteor shower. They're fine, you know? And the thing is that in the book, these things are everywhere. Like they, besides having them in their farms to get the oils, they're in people's gardens. They are in public gardens, but they uh, cut off the poisonous stinger, and it takes about two years for it to grow back. So they have them um, under control there. But the thing is, after everything happens, they start breaking loose, and they be immediately now to Bill Mason, they become a problem immediately. He's like, "Oh my God, we got to worry about these triffids." But a lot of the people that he runs into think he's fucking crazy. They're like, Triffids, they're just plants. What do we got to worry about? Because they're around, people know about them, but they don't realize how dangerous these things really are, especially in mass and the situation we are now in where we can't defend ourselves because we can't fucking see. And I got to also point out that some of the mass attacks, the mass slow-moving attack of the tortoise, I mean... John Carpenter made this comment about, you know, monster movies where the monster moves slow, and he called it the attack of the tortoise. These things are the attack of the tortoise. They are slow, but Wyndham built something into it where it doesn't matter how slow they're moving, you know, uh, you can't see. Or, worse, you've created a little sanctuary in the post-apocalyptic world, which is your little, your little tree fort or whatever, and it doesn't matter how slow they're moving. You're not going anywhere because you're trying to farm two acres, you know, you're trying to, uh, to, to to get some food out of the ground because you've exhausted the canned food in London or whatever. Uh, so the it has, you know, uh, you know it, it has sort of a, a zombie apocalypse, proto zombie apocalypse feel. Some well, of the I, I think scares. Even, I think Romero even made mention at one point about. Oh really? Okay. Uh, I, I was reading somewhere about he had mentioned some kind of. Or maybe somebody uh, made the comparison of, you know, the zombies and Wyndham's book, uh, Day of the Triffids, with, you know, the slow, the slow menace, you know. Yeah. Uh, a menace we could deal with, and in both cases, Wyndham and Romero both present this idea that this is a menace we could deal with if we could just stop bickering for five minutes, you yeah, know. We can't. No. <laughs> no, we do not. We dropped this ball. <laughs> we really do. We could we could have confronted the problem, but no, we would rather have an argument. And there are some great arguments in in the book. I love the the first group of survivors they run into in London. Who their their goal is to get every sighted person out of London and leave the rest to die because it's too big a problem. We cannot handle it. And they re and they realize that. But also they have they have some other views like. Women are just baby factories. Yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, every woman's gonna have to get pregnant. There's no. We're not having any birth control anymore. We're not. You know, it, it, it's it. They see the way, but it comes off as very fascistic and very. You know, Plato's Republic, which is yeah, enlightened fascism, but a lot of. You, you must now serve society. Society doesn't serve you as an individual in this new world, and. Um, there's that poor bastard who, you know, tries to, who kidnaps um, Mason and some of the other survivors and tries to make them t 
take care of the blind people, and that works out well. Just that was, about. That was a uh, croaker, coker, coca, coca, coca. Yeah, and um, so yeah, there, there's, there's, you know, other viewpoints in this that they come up. There's people who bail out of the. Uh, the first group of survivors, the first really big organized group of survivors that they run into, but um, ultimately, you know, uh, the uh, uh, ultimately it's it's a really decent survival uh, a story. Um, we were looking on the, the Wikipedia page, and it mentions that uh, Brian Aldiss, a science fiction writer, uh, Hugo Award winner, uh, coined the phrase "cozy catastrophe." And a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction is cozy, you know, yeah. where the the end happens. There's supposedly a nuclear war, but then it just like all this shit's laying around for free, and everybody gets a cool sports car because you know, or uh, an M1 tank and all the right guns they want. There's a lot of the uh, men's adventure post-apocalypses that go like that. I, I particularly think to um, Blank in the Ashes. I read like two uh -huh. of those. And there's this big talk about some sort of war or whatever, and there's like no effects of this giant nuclear war at all, except there are just less people, you know. And I would say that he accuses uh, Triffids of being a cozy catastrophe, and I gotta tell you, I don't remember it being cozy. There was the sickness that came later. There's the Triffids that are up your ass every second. There's yeah, fighting yeah. with the other people in the other communities. This did not strike me as cozy, sir. Oh, there was nothing cozy. Like he ran into his first uh, person he Bill Mason hooked up with was the woman who was like, like the one the one blind guy had her tied up like a fucking seeing eye dog, yeah. leading him around to find him stuff, you know, and beating her with a stick, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't know, man. I don't think Triffids was particularly cozy. Sure, there was no nuclear winter, and there wasn't, uh, you know, uh, radiation, but it's fucked. Okay. It's yeah. It's utterly and completely fucked. Not just that, but I love the disease that comes later. You know. Yeah. Again, they they alluded to it, like in the book. They talked a little. I think they talked a little more about it than they did in the TV series. Yes. And Bill thought that yeah, this disease that came it came right after the blindness. You know, nobody was able to identify what it was because it was not anything that they knew. It wasn't uh, like what you'd expect, which would be cholera and typhus. From, yeah, nothing. It was not from right. piles of dead bodies. You'd get cholera and typhus. But no, because no, it hit right away. You didn't even you didn't even have time to have piles and mountains of rotting bodies. Like this shit happened. It happened fast. Within like within like a week, people were just dropping dead. You know. Yeah. So I I read the Triffids back in the '80s, and it has always been one of my all-time. I think I put it on my top ten. It's always one of my favorite um, apocalypses. Uh, it gets points for being original, nobody, you know, being uh, uh, to having uh, elements of an alien invasion. It's a, it's it's an invasive species in apocalypse. You know, like if <laughs> walking catfish or something were going to take over the earth. Um, and it uh, in for 1951, it is way ahead of the curve. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I just recently, quote-unquote, read it. I got it as a audiobook. You know, I did, I did my, my free prescription to uh, Audible and got a free book and canceled it. So I was listening to it on the way to work, and I was listening to it at work. So uh, the reading of it, which is pr pretty good. And it's like, I agree with you. It's, it's, uh, it's a good book. You know, again, at the time, because the only thing that was really out, 
uh, post-apocalyptic at time. Like you had like you had a Brian Aldis book I think it came out around the same time, which was uh, Hot House, or it was The Long Afternoon of Earth, which wasn't very good. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you had. Uh, I think you might have had Michael Moore's. More there's a Michael Moorcock book that was out. I forget the name at this time. There was. Uh, uh, very close to this, we we looked this up. Um, Alas, uh, Alas, Babylon is really close to this. There was close to this. Uh, there was uh, the Lost Continent or Beyond Thirty, which came out like in the twenties. So there wasn't a whole lot out there yet in this post-apocalyptic kind of genre. So he was very early into this, and he did a very good job, you know. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't about nuclear war. It wasn't about this. It was about, yeah, something happened. We're all blind. We're all fucked. And look, there's many plants, you know. And the plants are like, fuck, dude. Like later on in the book when they, you know, they start, they try to burn them. They try to this. They try to that. They try to electrify fences. Because the plants, they were smart. They communicated. They learned. You know, that was what was scary. They fucking learned, you know. They knew they knew when you were going to do stuff. They knew, you know, when to avoid stuff. But yeah, that was they, scary because it's a because, fucking plant. <laughs> yeah, but they know when the sun's up and they know when the sun's down and they know you fucking meat bags are less effective when the sun's down. Exactly. And uh, so they, you know, that eventually it take, you know, the Isle of Wight, they try to find the best defense. So book, very good. And you know there was a follow-up book called uh, Night, Night of the Triffids. I didn't read Night of the Triffids, but uh, Big Finish Audio put out a radio, one of their radio uh, like kind of plays, where they're one of their you know radio stories for Night of the Triffids, which followed the book. Mm -hmm. uh, oof, not a good follow-up. You know, even if even though there was embellishment from it being like a radio drama as opposed to uh, the, just a reading of the story, but the whole premise of it, I don't know, it, just wasn't, it wasn't very good. Okay. Well, it's 25 years after the events of, of Triffids. Yeah. Where does it go wrong, in your opinion? It was all, I, I, I've never read it. I've never seen it. It was all just like a, an action story. You know, look, we're you know, sailing across the ocean in New York City, and there's this tyrant, and uh, the what, what was the name of the, what was the name of the one... Uh, spoiler alert, people. What was the name of the one character who... Uh, More? The one who was uh, you know, the thug in the city and then eventually was the, the military guy later on. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. He was just, he you see him as a punker, a 1980s sort of Sid Vicious punk. Uh, on the streets of London at the beginning, and then later he shows up and he's in this fascist military uniform. It's you know it's ten years later, and he's graduated to being, you know, I'm your district commissioner, and we're going to rebuild civilization, or we're going to blow your brains out. You know, um, yeah, I know you're talking about the character, but uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the character's name. Hold on, it is he put Torrance? Torrance. Okay, Torrance. Yeah, Torrance. You know, shows up in the book. He's ruling New York City, and there's like, you know, 25 years of they have boats and subs and attack. It, it's just ridiculous. It's all just this, wow. Yeah. There's wow. Like, they bounced back that fast. Boats and subs. Oh, they have like steamships, and there's you no know, submarines to go back and forth to the secret rebel base because they're trying to fight the evil that is, you know, Torrance's New York City. Because uh, yeah, a city like New York. If there's one thing we've learned. 
uh, in the post-apocalypse is that a big city like New York is going to be very easy to maintain with a population one one hundredth or one one thousandth of its original population, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they do it all by slave labor, and it's it's, it's... yeah, but just having enough people to sweep those streets, to pump out those subways, to keep the buildings from degrading and falling into the you know Hudson River. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And when they're on the Isle of Wight, like the son of Bill Mason is a fighter pilot. Like they were able to maintain a fighter jet, and he flies around. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we've also you're the one who brought up the thing about how fighter jets. They just degrade sitting there. You can't pick up a fighter jet ten years later, or, or even a year later. Well, that's modern jets. Now, mind you, we're talking fifties, you know, saber jet technology. Okay. Okay, I, I would give I would give them the benefit of the doubt if it was you know back then. But modern jets, no way. They're done. Those electronics are so sensitive. Yeah. Um, but it's just ridiculous. It's just an excuse to have an action story and. Um, yeah, it's it, from my opinion. Just again, I didn't read the book. I read the audio. I heard the audio dramatization. Well, I, I got one question. What are the fucking Triffids doing? Uh, still breeding. Uh, there's like 18 foot tall Triffids that keep on growing outside the barriers of the New York City, which they blow up with artillery every so often. And then there's water Triffids because they've adapted to living in the waters and the rivers, and it's 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 not good. No. Oh, and there's big hordes of her just uh, through the landscape, like the buffalo were, you know, before we wiped them out, you know, just, you know, covering the plains. And, you know, of course, you know, Indians immune. So, uh, what? Yeah, some of the apps, like, wow. I'm sorry. They went with the racist red man. He know, he know, uh, he impervious to Triffid. Yep. Wow. Well, let me point out that one of the big. Here's a stupid for that that bothers me is that the, the whole point was Triffids can't come up with the chlorophyll to feed themselves, so they have to put their roots in decaying matter. So they have to kill constantly, which yep. means at some point they're going to run out of meat bags and animals to kill and are going to actually start, there's actually going to start being fewer of them because they're going to start exhausting their own food supply because they don't have, they wouldn't be predators if they didn't have to be. If they could just sit there and soak up the sun, you know. Yeah. So this idea of herds of them sweeping or waddling majestically across yeah. the, the plains of Kansas. Have you noticed that nothing grows in Kansas except, you know. Oh, no, this is like along in the south in like Georgia, Florida, it's like near Florida or something. It's, yeah. it's just bad, you know. There's like like I said, it's um, yeah, it's just not good. It's at least at least, and big big finish usually does some pretty good uh, uh, audio dramatizations. Yeah. So I'm sure it's pretty close to the book. So Night of the Triffids, I'm gonna have to give it a uh, thumbs down. Uh, thumbs down. Thumbs down. So so let's get away from that and let's talk about um, the this movie. Awesome. This awesome thing, the TV series. Oh, the movie. Oh, movie uh, let's, let's, let's talk about the movie. Then we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about the movie briefly. Then we'll talk about uh, the two TV series. All right, you go. Um, the, movie. the movie. I just watched it over the weekend. Definitely that 1950s, 60s monster movie of the week. That's how they. That's how they adapted it. It's like them or the Beast from Twenty Thousand Leagues or it was something like that. They turned 
these plants into these like monsters, like screaming, you know, very Grecian women. Ah, there's a monster plant. Ah, I can't do anything. I'm helpless. You know, type of women. You know. Yeah. And um, like you see in those films. Now, it starts off with the same thing. You know, there's this meteor shower that blinds everybody, but the Triffids are plants that are already on Earth that were apparently brought to Earth from a previous meteor shower, you know, decades ago. So they're just these little harmless little Venus flytrap type plants that are, you know, in gardens and stuff. But when the second meteor shower comes there, blinds everybody, all of a sudden they mutate into these 10-foot-tall monsters with long tentacles that, you know, grab people and suck them in. And they just don't blind people. They just sting you and poison you, and you, you turn, like, blue, and they suck you in, they wrap you up, and uh, and uh, decay you, and, yeah. you know, eat you alive. Um, and apparently, the meteor shower brought more and more seeds, and they started, the seeds started to spread everywhere, you know. So there's no previous uh, experience with triffids whatsoever? Nope. They just know that there's these little plants, um, uh, in the garden, and all of a sudden, the second meteor shower, <coughs> excuse me, second meteor shower, all of a sudden, they mutate to 10-foot-tall monster plants, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I always remember them in the movie looking more arachnid-like, more insect, arthropod-like than plant-like to me. They, they look like more spidery, you know, insect oh, yeah. creatures. Oh, yeah, they have these weird, like, they look like these, like, sideways heads and uh, tentacles everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Now, there was a couple of interesting things that came out of it. Like, number one, we talked about how they didn't really address it in the book was how you'd have all these uh, factions of folks, like military folks, submarines, deep in ba like bases, bunkers, silos, that would not be watching this light show, that would not be blinded. Yeah, there's no way that a submarine on patrol in the Cold War is going to surface to give everybody a look at the meteor shower, the once-in-a-lifetime, too bad, comrade sailor, you know, go back to uh, whatever, you know, shitty radioactive Soviet, you know, submarine you're in. Uh, no one was going to surface and do that. No one was going to leave uh, Crystal Palace or Cheyenne Mountain or... Uh, the bunker, uh, the hole at uh, Omaha at, uh, you know, uh, Strategic Air Command. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that was designed for the Cold War that's going to miss the uh, light show. And then that would have provided some structure for the recovery, if there could be a recovery. Um, perhaps that could break down too, uh, but at least there'd be something there. Which they did in the movie, but they didn't do it in any of the books or anything like that. So, but but it, but in the movie, it's completely, you know, cavalry over the hill. Everything's all better. Yeah, and uh, there was a, there was a, another thing that was interesting in the movie, which again I liked was uh, the guy is like not, the guy's not blinded by a triffid. He's a seaman, like a merchant seaman, and having eye surgery. So. Still wakes up, you know, still in the hospital, does the bandage, roams around, finds a girl, but it's a little girl, because he goes to the train station because he doesn't know what's going on. And when he's at the train station, you know, the, eight, the 850 train comes in. 
and fucking plows into the fucking train station. <laughs> like, it's like, woo-woo, it's going, and apparently it's a train station that has a point that it stops, crashes into there, and then all of a sudden, you had people on the, on the, on, on the, um, on the deck there, whatever they call it, I can't remember what they call it, the, uh, where people are waiting for the train. The platform. The platform. The train fucking crashes, and oh, like, like fucking just fucking masses of blind people just piling off the train, Dave, mixing in with the people, causing all kinds of chaos. And I'm like, okay, that was cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember so, that. Oh, the yeah. other thing I remember was the bit where all the prisoners yeah. were in the in the prison who weren't allowed to go outside and see the light show, they overcame their guards, and now they're rampaging through, what was it France? France. Yeah. So there's all these convicts with machine guns. What were they doing? Were they raping a nunnery or something? Were they literally raping a nunnery? Uh, it might have been or, a nunnery. It was like... Uh, girl these, school? It was like a girl. There's all these women there yeah. and blind people and these this fam, these uh, three or four people who had sight were trying to help everybody else out, and... Uh, yeah, they were getting drunk and dancing and dancing with them, you know. So. Yeah, well, that's the best we can do in 1962. For that's our. That's why the Baptists don't like dancing. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good. It's a metaphor da- for rape. Yeah, dancing is is the dancing is the new rape. But uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that was our 1962 metaphor for men behaving badly was making the girls dance. You know, those monsters. Those up. monsters. Thank God the Triffids ate them. Um, but while all this is going on, there's this guy and a, there's a, like a man and a woman. I don't, I don't remember if they're married. They might be married or two two or, separate characters out of the blue. Yeah, they are on a in a lighthouse in the middle of the water. I guess like in, maybe in the channel or something, doing experiments on animals because he's like a marine biologist, and apparently he's a he's a raven drunkard and. Wants to give up his work because he has to go back so he can give himself some. Uh, I want a, I want a decent scotch. I don't have to wait till the boat comes and you know. Um, okay, so he's a complete loser. Yeah, complete loser. But apparently, a Triffid plant um, lands there because they're spawning, and she's the one who screams a lot. You know, when it breaks, it's like it breaks into the house and it's waving its things everywhere, and they're trying to fight it off, and you know they're chopping it apart and. You know, he's like, he's like, damn it! You know, it's like I'm not a botanist. I don't know. You know, he's like, he's like, you know, <laughs> why did I major in marine biology? Why yeah. did I? <laughs> As he's cutting it apart, trying to find uh, an answer, because he's like, we got to find a way to destroy it. And blah 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 blah. Um, well, eventually they do. Uh, should we spoil? Should we spoil, yeah, spoil it? it? Spoil it because this this. Fix for the Triffids is right up there with how to get rid of the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. So all this being said, you know, there are people running around trying to find, you know, places to go, and they, you know, they do electric fan. So they eventually find out on the lighthouse that the way to kill them, and they like, they foreshadowed it early on, because at the top of the stairwell, and you see it many times. I guess there's like a fire hose that uses the, as as a seawater pump. It says, use only in fire because it'll corrode. So he starts, you know, they're at the top of the lighthouse, and I gotta beat back these trivets so he gets the fire hose out, and salt water dissolves the plants. Yeah. Now we know salt water's no good for plants, obviously, but I no I no, mean, no 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 it dissolves them. Like, yeah, I mean it turns into like what I remember is green sludge running yeah. down the stairs. They just yeah. they just start pouring out green sludge like it's the Wicked Witch, 
getting a bucket of water right there in front of uh, Dorothy and the Tin Man, and they just so so eventually when you know Bill Mason, you know who is just a guy, uh, they they find the Navy ships, they get there picked up, they eventually find these people in the lighthouse that they found. They discovered the way to defeat the Triffids. So at the end of the movie, you know, yay, humanity has found a way to defeat the Triffids. So they know that saltwater kills them. So apparently the day is saved. We can beat all these monster plants, kill them all, and then we go to church. Uh, okay. On the church thing, don't they, like, put, like, sound uh, beacons, uh, like, like, like play, play triffid sounds out in the ocean, and the triffids all just sort of, like, lemming their way off? No, the no, no. There was, actually, that wasn't anything. The only thing they did was, like, he had, like, some kind of, like, gypsy truck they found with a big microphone, and he played music to get them away from the house so everybody else could get away. Okay. That was about it. No, they, they drove them away. And eventually, like I said, they killed them with salt water, and then they went to church. Because that there, was at the literally, end. Literally, there's a big Jesus moment at the end of the movie. Yes, they're all like, and we could, they're all like walking all solemn up the stairs to this church in like Spain. You know, we killed the trips and humanity survived and we prospered again, and they're all going to church. And then it ends. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry, where did, where did, where did God intervene here? Did did like God, you know, take a big, you know, broom and sweep the Triffids into the ocean? I don't remember that part of the movie, but yet we are still incredibly grateful uh, for stuff that clearly didn't happen. Okay. Exactly. Um, uh, some people were posting online. Somebody uh, posted uh, who who does uh, Trail of Cthulhu? Uh, you know, that's with Pelgrane. Uh, Pelgrane. Pelgrane has a scenario called uh, Cthulhu Apocalypse Dead White World. They said it sounds like uh, they got a lot of inspiration from the Day of the Triffids. Are you familiar with that scenario at all? No, no I am not. I've got a pile of Pelgrane stuff that I've been going through, but uh, they just did... Uh, in fact, they just have a book out that was... Um, uh, I think they did a collection of one-offs that are all like post-Great Old Ones Coming Back sort of scenarios. Uh, but I have not gotten to that one yet. That's not what I'm familiar with. So apparently, white worlds. So look at that. And then somebody else said, somebody else mentioned that uh, to look up uh, the books. There's also Revolt of the Triffids, but I think Revolt of the Triffids was actually because uh, it was I think it was originally published in a couple of parts, and I think originally or uh, hold on a second here. You think it was brought together and turned into Night of the Triffids? Uh, I'm looking here. Hold on. All right. Hmm. Oh my God, we've got dead air. I know. Talk, while I'm looking that up, while I'm looking for Vault of the Triffids, start talking to our friends about uh, the 1981 adaptation. All right. Well, there's not much to say except, oh my God, the goddamn BBC knows how to do an apocalypse right. I mean, they'd already proved that with survivors. So we knew they could do an apocalypse right. And that predates this Triffid uh, miniseries by, I think, six, seven years. Um, but uh, the, uh, the Triffid miniseries is, yes, it is low budget, but they stay well within their means. They don't go outside their ability to look good. And they build a fair number of Triffid props. The Triffid props, I think, look great. They're, oh, they, I, look, they look very good. They're a variant on a pitcher plant design. Not like a Venus flytrap. They have this big trumpet 
with the uh, the the pestle or stem in the middle that whips out like a like a, a stinger and whacks people in the eyes and makes them blind. Um, they even designed uh, they even designed a, a prosthetic makeup effect for the tur the, the, the sting. So yeah. it had a very distinctive sting when it stung people. It really follows the it really follows the book almost blow by blow by blow all the way down the line, um, which is good. That was the right call. They do not go off into you know uh, inappropriate romances or uh, whole other stories. They don't introduce unnecessary characters like our drunk science, our drunk marine biologist and his screaming wife. Um, they just have the main characters deal with the problem. And yeah, it is and it, it is updated a little bit because it's thirty years later, but you really couldn't tell. They they follow they're very true to the story. They followed it very closely. They elaborated a little bit more in a few areas in the book, but you know it wasn't necessary necessarily for the TV series. You know. Yeah, and I, and and of course they have the Triffid gun. Let's not forget the Triffid gun. Yep, and they had the Triffid gun in the, you know in the um, in the book, and yeah. they had it in the movie, uh, yeah. uh, the TV show. Oh, by the way, they mentioned Revolt of the Triffids. Uh, Revolt of the Triffids was a, an, an alternate name for the Day of the Triffids. Okay. Okay. Well, well, at least according to Wikipedia and everything else I've looked at, I think it was maybe originally known as that. So there you go. All right. Cool. Uh, and as we know, everything in Wikipedia is always correct. Well, I saw I saw it on a couple of other websites as, as well. So I think it was just an alternate name for it. Um, okay. Yeah. So the the original the, the, who originally showed me this? I'm trying to think. Maybe, was it was it Migliori? Maybe originally showed me this. It might have been. Um, Andrew McGlory is always a good source for horror movies. Uh, he was the founder of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. He's always a good source. Um, but yeah, I ran across it in high school. Uh, it was showed on PBS, where all the BBC came back in the day, and yep. uh, you know, and had to watch it live. Had to watch it on, you know. You know, you tuned in, or it was never, or it was gone. <laughs> that was how it worked. And I, and I, and I watched a lot of, I watched a lot of uh, public television too in those in the, in the early eighties, mid eighties. That's how I you saw. saw that's how I, you saw Blake Seven. Yeah, but I never, I never saw the Day of the Triffids on there. Yeah, well, it wasn't on much because it was only a miniseries. It yeah, but no, I mean, on. I never, and I watched a lot of public television. I never saw it, so, so I didn't discover until the early two thousands watching it in Andrew's basement. You know, he's like, you got to watch this, you know. And it, it, it delivers. It, it absolutely delivers uh, on all the ways you want in a post-apocalyptic miniseries. Uh, they take their time to tell the story. It does not drag, but they get a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff done. Oh, and also, uh, so our viewer knows, when I originally had to get it, I had to get the British version. So it was, a, you know, a foreign uh, a region. But in... Um, it's now available. There's a there's an American version of it as well. Yeah, I have it in NTSC, so I have the uh, the American uh, region for that. Yeah, but, it, yeah. I have NTSC now. It was I originally had the PAL version because I have a player that could do that. But when it became available in NTSC, I picked it up. Same thing like I did with Survivors. You know, it became available. I picked it up. You know, just so I have to worry about because it's like you know I'm always going to be able to play stuff here. But if I ever lo lost my player, you know. But anyway. So yeah, solid series. You can pick it up. Well worth. worth I don't know how much it runs now, but I'm sure you can pick it up pretty cheap. Well worth uh, the price of admission. And oh yeah. It's a, and it's a good. Um, 
it's uh, 157 minutes, so it's got it's got a fair amount uh, to watch. I think it's what six episodes. Yeah, I think it's six episodes of basically half hour piece. Yeah, and it's uh it's it's definitely worth it. Now, uh, yeah, six episodes, each one. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Sixty something minutes. Now, oh, it's an hour. Those oh, so it's six hours long almost. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's some unless, unless I'm reading that wrong. No, I think you're right. I'm looking at the same thing. Uh, part one. You can do. Hmm. Yeah, so it's... anyway, uh, so the BBC, in their infinite wisdom, <laughs> um, decided to make a newer version. Now I only have this thing because I couldn't get. It track it down anywhere else because I don't have a good video store like uh, Scarecrow. Um, wasn't available on Netflix, wasn't available anywhere. So I was able to pick this up uh, for less than $10 with shipping brand new. So I figured, you know what, for what it might cost me to try to find some way to rent it if I could, for less than $10 I'll just get it. And, you know, now it makes a nice coaster. Um, yeah, day, day that, the is the, that is the best use you can put that towards. Day of the Triffids remake in 2009. Oof, not good. Yeah. First, first of all, cartoon Triffids. Oh, yeah, awful. And they crawl, and they have lots of tentacles. Again, very, you know, spider-like. They're not, you know, they're not as scary because they just they walk around. Again, they're like Monster of the Week. They change a lot of the characters around, like, you know, um, uh, Torrance is now the main evil bad guy. And it's like, you know, the, the Triffid oil thing is now a big secret. Like, it wasn't like, people don't really know about Triffids. They're like, they're these secret farms under, like, heavy guard that they're getting this Triffid oil that they're making from. There's activists trying to fight against them. It's just, you know, and people are like, oh, what's a Triffid? Oh, my God, I'm dying, you know, because you have the same thing happen. You know, there's a blindness that, that is that, uh, caught, you know, from a meteor shower which causes um, everybody to be blind, just like the original story. Bill Mason is in the hospital from being almost blinded by a triffid. So they, they, they do a lot of the same stuff, but that's where it just kind of goes off. But, you know? but then, really, uh, Eddie Izzard as Torrance becomes the main problem. Yeah. Uh, as not, opposed not, to not, as not as the, triffids. the triffids. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, the, the, triffids are, the triffids aren't the problem. He is. Yeah. Um, and uh, at least in the... The, the book and the, the series, yeah, people are the pro people show up to cause problems, but they are really just a break in the ennui of the continuing Triffid problem. You know, yeah. the Triffids never stop being the threat. And in this, well, first of all, I mean, I don't know, I was bothered by the the lack of actual Triffid. I mean, I'm always a little snobby about uh, CGI versus actual props. Oh uh, yeah. Um, and as as low budget as the Triffids are in the uh, in the BBC eighty four eighty one version, um, they're better looking. Than oh yeah, because uh, it's cheap CGI. No, I'm I'm a I'm a bigger fan of practical effect. I would rather have practical effects than cheap CGI. Yeah, like half ass CGI. Yeah, you know? and it's and it's kind of half ass. They're they're really not good. Uh, and so the monsters, because the monsters are ineffective, that makes a lot of it fall apart right off the bat. Yeah, and, and, then, and again, the Triffids are not the problem. You know, they're a little bit of a problem, 
but it becomes a personal conflict and drama between the people as opposed to trying to overcome a situation. You know, uh -huh. it's like if, if we're going to make a movie about mountain climbing, I would think that the drama would be about the perils of gravity and rock slides and frostbite, not, you know, we have to talk about our relationship, you know, like that shit they did in the middle of um, uh, Team America World Police. One of my favorite yeah. moments is right in the middle of an air battle, everyone decides to take the time to talk about their relationships, which is standard standard sort of bullshit where they think that the they think that the, the uh, viewer will not be uh, 800 number not going to pick up that call um, uh, that the viewer is not going to be content with dealing with the situation that there has to be some sort of subplot or sub something going on uh, where there's relationships and who's dating who and who likes who better well because well, you know um the, t the television uh, industry thinks you're stupid, and you need to and, and you need to be, you know, spoon-fed soft entertainment. You know? I'll, I'll bet you that it's even, frankly, uh, a swipe at female viewers. Like, oh, female viewers won't be interested in an apocalypse. They need to know. They're going to need to know like who's getting along with who. Like it's a, uh, like it's a survivor or something. You know, like it's one of those reality TV shows like Big Brother. We have to have all that interpersonal drama, and that's what brings in the. The, the female viewer, and I think that's absolute horseshit. Um, oh, yeah, and it's, and it's like... It's condescending. Yeah, and it's and it's about Bill and his relationship with his father that he tracks down, who his father was this scientist, you know, who studied the Triffids, and he finds him. I need your help, Dad. We need to defeat the Triffids because they're going to be a problem because people don't believe me, you know? Yeah, I remember that. And that's an incredible waste of Brian Cox as the dad. If you want to... Use Brian Cox correctly. He's either Hannibal Lecter or he's pronouncing Scotch. Those are the two best uses for Brian Cox. Yeah, so it's just it's just horrible. And well, there 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 was one interesting part where they find uh, the nunnery like they did in the original, where the people were like, you know, like they they found them. Oh they, yeah. They found them in the book, and they're like, listen, you really shouldn't do this. It's not going to work. You know, you need help. No, 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 we're fine. So they twisted that. It made it to where, which I found, I, I kind of thought it was pretty interesting how the nun, the head nun, was uh, keeping everybody together, and people were going, you know, out on, you know, the the, the long walk. You know, they were like, listen, they're going to go, and they're going to recruit other people and start their own little place, and everybody, yay, let them go. But basically, she was just keeping the Triffids happy by sending people out for breakfast, you know. Yeah, yeah that's how you keep the Triffids at bay. Is to appease them with sacrifices. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. I and mean, again, I think it's bullshit. I don't think it would have worked because Triffids, Triffids were just like, hey, look, there's more people there. You know, either they keep them happy by giving them a little bit of food, but it was at least that was at least okay. All right, that's interesting. You know, more well, so than what a, what a turn on the head from 1962 uh, or three, where at the end of the thing, with no intervention from God, everyone goes and goes to the church and looks up piously at the end after. There is no divine intervention to stop the Triffids, and yet in the 2009 one, the representative of organized religion is feeding people to the Triffids. Yeah. I think our views on religion have changed over the last 50 years. Hmm. Hmm. So, oh, and another thing, well, actually, there's one thing I liked about the, uh, uh, there was one thing I liked about the movie was that apparently every city, big city, was on fucking fire. 
Yeah. yeah. Every major city was fucking an inferno. Like, hell on earth. You know, like, somebody was running around with a gas can and a box of matches just lighting up the whole fucking city, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when there's not enough of us to fight the fires, these things are going to burn down in a hurry. Well, they, they kept them alluding to it in the movie. They're like, oh, you know, stay where you are. You don't want to hurt yourself, and you might cause a fire. They kept on saying that and saying that and saying that, and then all of a sudden, look, London is burning down. Yeah. So, um, And then they do talk about that, well, not that in the book, but they talk about that in the miniseries, the original, uh, the 81, how they're going back to the city, and they're like, listen, we can't go back to London anymore because it's it, it, it goes to be like, what, a good decade. They're like, listen, buildings are falling. You know, roads are blocked. There's a lot of disease there, you know. So at least they were addressing dogs. dogs. So they were addressing, you know, the issue of okay, well, how are things going to decay? How long are we going to be able to go back there? Kind of like, and he talked a lot about it more in the book about how things degraded and fell apart, which kind of makes me think of. I wonder if the guy who wrote um, uh, the book that came out before the Life After People series. There was a book, yeah. uh, the, the World Without Us. Yeah. Um, it almost seems like, hey, I wonder if they were, you know, I wonder if he read the Day of the Triffids because they really kind of talk like that in the Day of the Triffids about how things are going to collapse and how things are going to break down and how we're not going to be able to fix things anymore and how yeah, things our, our stuff will decay. Stands up. Our stuff keeps standing up because we're constantly fixing it. Yeah, so they address that in the book and, and then they talk about it a little bit less in the TV series. So, uh, but it, it's good. But anyway, so. Yeah, so does Triffids get 10 out of 10 mushroom clouds as far as uh, post-apocalypse goes? Um, overall, as a concept, yeah, I'd say yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, leaving out the bad 63 movie and leaving out the terrible, terrible remake. And, oh, well, here's the, here the one other thing I really hated about this fucking uh, t this remake TV series was how they escaped from his dad's mansion because they keep... Oh, I'll, I'll, let me tell you, okay? They kept on... Uh, um, I'm spoiling it! They kept on flashing back to his mom in the jungle, because apparently Triffids have been around for a long time, and the natives in, like, I think it was like, you know, you're oh, a yeah. You're good. They kept on... His mom died, he survived, and they kept on showing this fucking wooden mask, okay? Then eventually... You know, he's back at his dad's, they find the mask, like, how are we going to get past all the Triffids? We don't know how... We're gonna get past the Triffids. So he goes. He finally remembers the mask, you know, and uh, puts the mask over his face. And there's two like there's like slits in each of the eyes of the mask. And apparently, you take Triffid poison, and if you put it in the mask, it only drips a little bit into your eyes. That's of course if it's lined up. If you if your eyes are the exact same as the eyes. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's something made, of course. Everybody's, it's perfect fit. Uh, <clears throat> so you drop the triffid poison in your eye through the mask, and then your eyes get all black and fucked up, and it kind of looks like your makeup ran in the rain because you're like Morrissey or something. And, um... <laughs> and, uh... I'm sorry. <laughs> and... <laughs> and, and, and... And I'm sorry. And, of course, they walk... Right through the Triffids, there's a fucking forest of Triffids around this house, and they walk right past them because they drip Triffid poison in their eyes with the mask. And of course, you know, uh, Torrance gets eaten alive. Oh, I hate you! Firing the gun and the plants does fucking wrap him up and kill him. So that was 
such a stupid fucking way for them to escape. You know, I would have been I would have been thrilled if the natives, because they always go for the eyes, if the native mask had just been a way to keep getting slapped in the face that's, by a trip. That's what I was hoping it was going to be. Yeah. And then yeah. they started dripping poison in the eyes. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> God damn it. And then the only other thing that was interesting in that movie, uh, the TV series, was like he was doing a lot of studies on audio, uh, listening to them, the communication. So he had some recordings he would use to distract them or, or, or draw them in, different sounds that make them more aggressive because he found his mom's old reel-to-reels. So the whole audio thing with trying to communicate was kind of, Mildly interesting uh, subplot to it, but oh, but you know the escape was just ugh, terrible. You know, <laughs> I remember that now. I yeah. uh, that was awful. Yeah. You know what? It, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of them thinking that they're being smart that the writers are like somehow this is the this is the Triffid equivalent of The Walking Dead, where they smeared zombie yeah. corpse yeah. all over each other to walk out. That was great. Yeah. I was happy with the zombie stink on everybody, but holy crap. Tri- Triffid eye drops. Yeah. Okay. Fuck you, writer. Yep. Fuck you. Here you go. Here's my here's my eye drops to keep my contacts moist, but it's not going to save me from the triffids. Okay? <laughs> um, so our recommendations, folks, stay away from the 2009 uh, TV series. Absolutely stay away from it. We suffered for you. Okay? We made the sacrifice and watched it, so you don't have to. Okay, 1981 TV series. Absolutely fucking watch this, 100%. Okay, get it. Read the book as well. Good read, easily available. Get the fucking book. Um, and unless you unless your thing is 1950s monster movies like them and 20, if you like those I'm types go, of movies... I'm going to say that Them is better than Day of the Trippets, though. Okay? Oh, I remember, I, I, remember, I remember Them as a... Well, I love watching it as a kid. If, if you like those types of movies, watch it. Otherwise, you can avoid it. Yeah. In my, in my recommendation. It is not the apocalypse you're looking for. Hmm. Uh, somebody also commented that wouldn't the, the fires get rid of the disease and the rodents and uh, the, the disease rodents and pests? Um, it would also get rid of the cities, too. <laughs> you know, Maybe cities... The, the fire will drive the rodents out of the city and into our communities. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. If you if you see a horde of rats running your direction, run with them because they're running from something. <laughs> Best part of Cloverfield, right there. Exactly, exactly. So so that's it, folks. That's our, you know, uh, the day of the Triffids. We covered a lot of, you know, different aspects of it. Uh, a lot of news this time. Uh, we had a lot of news, a lot of tangents. Um, next show... We are going. We, I was thinking about it. And I was talking to Scott prior to the show about. Have we talked about weapons defense? You know, like now I'm not talking about you know nuclear weapons, but you know what? How are you going to defend yourself? It, we've touched on it in you know different aspects of like firearms and this and that and trait, but we've never really talked about weapons in the apocalypse. You know, yeah. is, is it going to be the Wild West? Is it eventually going to deteriorate? Are people going to go with bows? Or are people going to this? Uh, you know, vehicle. You know, you know, you know, or uh, catapults, whatever. So we're we're gonna talk about weaponry. You know, we're gonna call call the episode episode thirty three sticks and stones. Sticks and stones, it is. And we'll definitely try and pick out not just the stuff that we actually we actually from our reading of apocalypse literature think would be a realistic weapon, but also some of our favorite post apocalyptic weapons. 
no matter how ludicrous they might actually be. Absolutely. And I think for this show, I'm going to try to loop in uh, some friends of the show, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, we definitely got you know people like you know, Verhole again, or maybe Clint, or, uh, because they do a lot of stuff like their Wisdoms of the Wasteland uh, magazine that they put out, which talks about you know weapons, it talks about you know armor, this and that. So we'll maybe we'll uh, lose some of our friends from uh, Skirmisher Publishing back in to join the conversation, so we can have some other input because you know they're game designing and they're doing a lot of apocalyptic shit. So I think they'd have some something. Uh, to I, I will attempt not to constantly reference the Teutonic Forty Five hard ballers with the Packmire grips uh, when it comes to weapons, the apocalypse. Because holy crap, thank you, Jerry Ahern and the Survivalist. Yeah, uh, well, you know, of course, the only weapon in the apocalypse is your Daytonic, twin Daytonics 45s with the Pac-Mark grips. <laughs> God damn it. That, that is your only survival weapon. That's all you need, apparently. Uh, no matter what happens, he's, kind of, he's, he's always back to those, because nothing makes you more accurate than firing two pistols at the same time. Absolutely, you know, and of course, if you're John Thomas Rourke, the survivalist. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and our friend uh, looks like... Uh, Zatoon, Zatoon Man apologized for being late to the, the party because he had to make a drive to Seattle. Don't worry. This is just a live broadcast. It is recorded, and it'll be uh, archived on the YouTube channel. It'll be up uh, probably within you know the next half hour, so you can come back and uh, watch the uh, full show on the YouTube channel. Watch so. us prattle on again and again because we're so damn entertaining. We, we, we are. We are entertaining. You know, at least we like to think so. To, our, so, to, our, to ourselves. Yes, of course. And that's what counts because our it's not like we, you know, it's not like our outlay of cash to make this happen is so big, you know. Yeah. Worship. This is free for us. We're just going to pollute the airwaves. And um and of course, you know, uh you know all the all the money, all the money we're making off this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the all the merchandising. We are we are do, we are doing that, aren't we? Isn't there merchandising? Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. And hey, we get we get review copies of books, so we've. Uh, oh, you're right. You know what? Uh, uh, that's right. Work. This is profit right here, baby. You know? Pure profit. But uh, but also no, it's it's cool. You know, it's like you know somebody wants us to review a book, and hey, we'll we will absolutely read it and give you an honest review. Let's let's try and get uh, let's try and get fractured reviewed. Not next show, but the show after after we do sticks and stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a little time to read. Uh, I'll give us a month. Yeah, so we should be good for that. And uh, what else was I gonna say? Yeah, and what other show are you gonna get people referencing Morrissey? In uh, in the apocalypse, <laughs> not a lot. I don't think I don't, I don't think a lot of shows are going to. Yeah, happen. I don't think they want to. So probably for good right. reason. All right, folks. So we're going to wrap it up. So um, again, remember, two weeks from now, episode thirty-three, uh, sticks and stones. We're going to be talking about apocalyptic weapons, armor, uh, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, how do I know when the next podcast will be? Somebody asked. Well, it's going to be in two weeks. We do the show on Monday nights live, starting at nine. P.M. Eastern. That is 6 P.M. West Coast time. So we we do it generally every two weeks. Okay. Sometimes there's variance in this in the schedule, but generally it's every two weeks. Uh, you also can find out when when the new show is coming up. You could go to the blog. You could go to podcast at ground zero. Uh, just spelled out podcast at ground zero.com. and I will I update when the new shows uh, are going to be posted. Uh, on the blog, and also during the week, I try to at least 
several times a week, post when I find news, interesting things, talk about the show. Uh, you could also follow us on Facebook. It's just, you know, facebook.com slash podcast at ground zero. What I do on the Facebook, uh, just like the page. And when it should, generally within a few days before the show posts, I create a Facebook event. Uh, so you can see when it's going to be. You can say you're joining, so you'll have a, uh, a reminder that the show's coming up. But again, we're going to be doing it in two weeks. Uh, and then you'll also, well, since I'm talking about social media, you can also follow us on the Twitter, because sometimes I post things to Twitter that I don't necessarily post on the, on the blog or the Facebook page. Uh, it's podcast, it's twitter.com slash uh, podcast at uh, G0. Um, and you can find all of these links on their main blog page, podcast at groundzero.com. I have links to all the social media on the right-hand column. And again, you can, so you can follow your RSS uh, feeder, uh, uh, reader feed. And again, you can like the Facebook, like the Twitter, uh, or just come back to the blog every once in a while and you'll see all that information. So that's how you follow it if you uh, didn't know. So, but if you do follow us on social media, please like us. You know, follow us on Twitter, like the Facebook page, you know, uh, follow, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. So, you know, because we can bolster up our numbers that way. So, so again, two weeks from now, which will be, what is that, October, um, the 12th calendar, October 12th, 13th. October 13th, we will have Sticks and Stones, Apocalyptic Weapons. So this is uh, the Apocalypse Nerd and uh, Annabon Glancy from Podcast Acheron Zero. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you in the Wastelands. Good night.